Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen. And we do thank you for sharing part of your evening with us tonight. We do have a good uh, discussion plan with information that we do hope will provoke all of our viewers to do diligence and search out the truths for yourselves. However, before we get started, I would like to make a, a message to a caller who called us last, night, last week. His name was Robert. And he had called in and mentioned that he watched uh, Sunday television show called Shepherd's Chapel, and that was how he got his uh, religious teaching, he said. Well, I got uh, some responses from that from some of our viewers and friends of the ministry, and I'd like to read a short email uh, in regards to this comment that our caller said, and this is what the email wrote. It says, on Thursday, January 26th, a caller named Robert called into your show. Would you please communicate to this caller that the preacher he is currently following is a heretic? His name is Arnold Murray and teaches on television through Shepherd's Chapel. <clears throat> please make a comment on this as I personally followed him for a while and discovered that he teaches that Eve had sex with Satan in the Garden of Eden to produce Cain. This is obvious, obviously fault because Genesis teaches that Adam is the father of Cain. Please, please, please share this as a general note to this man named Robert. Well, I want to thank this viewer and others who commented on uh, his remark about Shepherd's Chapel. Previous to last week's show, I had never heard of it, so I couldn't make any comment myself. And we're grateful to get this information. And it is our responsibility to warn our viewers that following false doctrine is spiritual suicide, no matter what the doctrine is or who gives it to you. And we urge our caller last week, Robert, and anyone else who is watching the show tonight that watches the program of Shepherd's Chapel to please test everything that you hear with the Bible. The Bible is the only resource that God has given us to measure up for the truth. And if you would like to read more about Shepherd's Chapel, we do have a website that we would like you to go to and you can read all about what is being taught that's heresy, and that, or that uh, website is www.watchman.org slash profile slash murrayprohtm And if you didn't, excuse me, get this all written down, you can email us, uh, tv at aboutpolygamy.com, and I'll be happy to send you uh, this website for you to check this out for yourself. And just like God told us, we are to check out everything that we learn to make sure that it measures up to the truth. The Mormon Church and polygamy groups portray Joseph Smith as the innocent victim of all kinds of unwarranted persecution and trumped-up false charges. But in reality, Joseph Smith was guilty of all sorts of illegal activities. He was taken to court several times and was convicted of crimes against society. He was not the squeaky clean, wrongly persecuted, innocent victim he is so often portrayed to be. I was shocked when I discovered the real Joseph Smith. And most people who learn about him, uh, the 
real history of Joseph Smith, was also and is also scandalized, not only because of the dastardly deeds that he was guilty of, but also because he is now eulogized as the martyr of the highest caliber. When I would tell others and do tell others about the true story of Joseph Smith's death, they would growl at me and accuse me of untold blasphemies even for even thinking an unkind thought of their precious prophet. Well, tonight we're going to discuss the untold story of Joseph Smith's death, all documented historical material, and our guest to do this knows what he's talking about, and I would like to introduce and welcome to our show tonight, Bill McKeever. Thank you, Doris. Good to be with you. Thank you for coming again. You've been on our show several times. Mm -hmm. It's always Enjoy a it. great pleasure to have you here. And we would like our viewers who perhaps haven't met you before on on our show um you do have a ministry a website mm -hmm. and different things that you do to minister mm -hmm. this culture would you like to tell them about it sure yeah i began mormonism research ministry back in 1979 i, I came from a background that was not latter-day saint that sometimes helps that sometimes doesn't help if if it does help it's because i'm not really a true apostate if it then <laughs> whatever but anyway my interest in mormonism uh stemmed from a lot of the uh friends that I grew up with in Southern California, and they never really tried to convert me before I became a Christian. But after becoming a Christian, that's when they started challenging me on some of the things that I believed, and it was in those talks that I became very concerned about, you know, what I was hearing from my friends, because I like these people, you know. And uh, so in 1979, I started Mormonism Research Ministry, mainly as an outlet for uh, the body of Christ to help them in better understanding what the teachings of the LDS Church were all about. And then uh, it kind of now has kind of like a twofold approach. We not only want to educate the body of Christ, mm -hmm. but certainly we want to reach out to the Mormon people. And so we do a lot of that through outreaches here in Utah and, and other places as well. And uh, we have a website, mrm.org. Uh, we have a blog site called Mormon Coffee. It's forbidden, but it's good, is <laughs> uh, the subtitle to that. Uh, where people can discuss these issues. Uh, we also have a radio program, Viewpoint on Mormonism, that airs here in Utah daily in the morning at 9.45 and in the evening at 9.30. On AM 820, right? 820. KBTR. As Sean goes, that truth, right? Yeah, the truth, yeah. <laughs> And then you have a book, I always like to plug this book because it's been so helpful to me, In Their Own Words, a collection of Mormon quotations, and uh, it's, a, it's a collection completely filled with their own quotes, their own comments about no, all the issues. None of mine. I left my quotes out of there, so right. they're all their own. And it's, uh, it's a book that I use, and I'm sure others do too, use it profusely. It's wonderful, and also it's available in PDF as well, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. can they go to your website and get it? They that? can. They can even get a download of it. If they wanted to so from your yeah. website mm -hmm. okay that's true okay well thank you uh for sharing that with us and if anybody wants any more information uh about what uh bill does you can always email us or go to mrm.org uh bill joseph smith claimed he was like a lamb being led to the slaughter when mm -hmm. he made the decision to turn himself into the authorities after he ran away from from yes. the destruction of the Nauvoo uh, Expositor. And of course, there's Mormon myth, there's Mormon absolute, and this goes for the polygamy groups too, by the way. Mm -hmm. I, I just need to say this, when we talk about early Mormonism, that was polygamy. And the early Mormon, uh, the uh, people, 
actually said, after he said about himself, that he was led meekly, very meekly, as a lamb to the slaughter. When I d discovered that he died a brutal death, in, mm. I was shocked. I was terribly shocked. I didn't mm. know what to say. But anyway, we're going to talk about that tonight. What, okay. what maybe most people who believe and follow Joseph Smith don't understand about his death. So what, was he unjustly persecuted? Let's start with the story they don't know. Well, of course, Joseph Smith was very controversial by the mere fact that he was introducing theological uh, ideas that certainly didn't fit within the parameters of what was known as Christianity and what is known as Christianity. So obviously, he would find himself with many enemies. Now, when it comes towards the end of his life, many of those enemies happened to be people who were once very close to Joseph Smith. And what had happened was, is when they were in Nauvoo on the banks of the Mississippi, naturally Joseph Smith was involved in many practices that even some of his own followers were uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. Some of them ended up leaving uh, Joseph Smith's loyalty, or, or, or were no longer loyal to Joseph Smith, and produced the newspaper, the Nauvoo Expositor, that was meant to come out as a weekly publication, and it was supposed to do what, exactly what it said, to expose what was going on in Nauvoo, primarily through the mayor, Joseph Smith, and also the prophet of the Mormon church. So Joseph Smith was the mayor of yes. Nauvoo at the time. Yes, okay. and so Nauvoo was not an insignificant town at that time. It was uh, had a pretty good population for that time period. Some say it even rivaled the city of Chicago. Wow. There were a lot of Latter-day Saints that had settled there because they had basically followed wherever Joseph Smith went or told him to go, they followed him. And so here they are in this little swamp-infested town originally known as Commerce, Illinois. The Mormons came in and uh, made a, a well, really quite a, a beautiful little city out of it. If you've ever been there, they're, they're right now they're redoing a lot of the houses down in the flats area. And so a lot of the homes that have been reconstructed are supposed to match what it looked like during the time when Joseph hmm. Smith was there. And Interesting. It, was, it looked like a very pleasant little community. But Joseph Smith was doing a lot of things secretly that troubled a lot of his followers, one of which, of course, would be practicing plural marriage. Mm -hmm and lying to his people about it. Not only lying to his people about it, but lying to his own wife, Emma, about right. it. Uh, they were not happy with this. They also felt that Joseph Smith was abusing his power as mayor of Nauvoo. So they decided to put together this newspaper to expose him. And they were going to address a lot of these things in future issues. Well, when the first issue came out, Joseph Smith naturally was not very happy that uh, they were going to be saying a lot of bad things about him. Hmm. So they had a city council meeting, and it was actually Joseph's brother Hiram who suggested that they were to uh, pie the type. They were going to go in and destroy the printing press and to scatter the type to make sure that this could not happen again. And that's exactly what they did. I think it was on June 10th when they finally went in there under the orders of the city council, Joseph Smith being mayor, and they broke into the headquarters of the Nauvoo Expositor and destroyed the printing press. And, of course, the owners of the press were not very happy about that, so they filed charges wanting Joseph Smith to be arrested. And so there were, there were trials. He got off, and, there, and a lot of, there was a lot of controversy over this. But ultimately, in order to settle this issue, they were going to go to uh, the county seat in Carthage, Illinois, and they, he had talked with the governor, Thomas Ford, about this, and they were going to get this issue settled once and for all. Mm -hmm. So Joseph Smith, uh, at first, 
does not go very willingly. He actually goes across the Mississippi to Montrose, which is a, a town that is still there, directly across the river, the Mississippi River from Nauvoo. And of course, he is uh, given a, a letter from his wife, Emma, telling him that he better come back because people were saying that he was a coward, that he was leaving the church in the lurch, if mm -hmm, you will, mm -hmm. and they wanted him to go back and, and get this thing settled. So he ends up going back quite reluctantly, I'm sure. And before he finally goes to Carthage is when he makes that famous saying that he's going as a lamb led to the slaughter, uh, cool as a summer breeze, he's gonna die as something an innocent, like he's gonna that, go as an innocent yeah. man or something like that. Very romantic in the way it's portrayed. Yeah. But that is where I think you and I would have a real problem with this. Oh, because yes. he's using a, a verse <laughs> taken out of Isaiah 53, 7, which we know is a messianic statement. It applies to Jesus. Supposed to describe how the Messiah would go <clears throat> to his death. And of course, when, the Mormon, when Joseph Smith uses that verse, he is certainly trying to make the implication that there's some kind of comparison there. Mm-hmm. And yet, that is not really true. No, it's not, not true really at true. all. We and we could do some honest comparisons if the mm -hmm. whole the way the whole thing worked out, and know that there is no comparison mm -hmm. at all. Now, when this, well, there was only one edition of the Expositor yes. ever printed, wasn't there? Right. Yeah. Did, After that first edition came out, Joseph Smith made sure there were no more. In that edition. Uh, and you know, I have not read the entire. I don't know if it it gave, There's a lot and it's of on stuff the in there. It. <laughs> Does it talk about him marrying married women? I'm not sure exactly way. what it says on that particular topic. I, from what I get, most of the real dirt was supposed to come out in future issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, Joseph Smith was preventing that from happening. Now, you made a remark that I, that I thought is so good. Jacob chapter 2 says that a, a polygamy is abominable and God doesn't want him to do it. And, and it says several verses about mm -hmm. how bad polygamy is, mm -hmm. commanding them not to practice it. And then in verse 30, mm -hmm. it has, uh, well, unless I want to raise up righteous seed. And you, right. you made the, the right. remark that Joseph Smith's antics refutes that yes. itself. Joseph Smith's polygamy tends to go against the grain of why a Mormon should ever think there should be polygamy. The whole reason for polygamy, according to the Book of Mormon, and even though it's, it's very much criticized throughout the Book of Mormon pages, there's that one little exception in Jacob chapter 2, where it says that if God chooses to raise up seed, then this, this can be changed. Mm -hmm. Well, the question is, is then why did Joseph Smith feel, necessary, uh, feel, feel it necessary to actually marry married women? Yeah. Um, we have no... We have, we have no evidence whatsoever that I know of that any of these women were married to men that were either impotent or sterile, but yet Joseph Smith decides that he's going to marry these women, some of whom had wives or, or husbands that were members, mm -hmm. some were not. Right. Mm -hmm. But he chooses to marry these women that already have living husbands. Now, in every culture, every culture, including American culture, that's adultery. Yeah. But for is. some reason, in Mormonism, it's okay. Joseph Smith always gets a pass. Yeah. Smith can do just about anything he wants, and the Mormon people just go along with it, and they won't criticize him. If we were to put that in a 21st century context mm. and say, let's say, for instance, Thomas Monson started behaving like this, I would say there are probably some Mormons that would probably turn a blind eye, but I would think, I would hope to think, that most Mormons would be troubled by this. 
I would think so, yes. You put yourself back into a 19th yes. century context and you still have to ask yourself the question, what makes it so right for Joseph Smith and so wrong for everybody else? And some of the women, at least a couple of them that he married, they were pregnant. Zena Huntington was seven months pregnant, proving that she can rise up, rise up righteous seed without Joseph. Sure, sure. <laughs> there, there would be no need for him to marry married women. So there's sure. no need for Jacob chapter yeah. 2 verse and we, and 30. And we don't even have any real solid evidence that through any of his plural relationships that there were any offspring. Well, there's, there, well there's, not real there's, solid. There's not real solid. There, there's some speculation, right. you know, but definitely, but nothing has ever really been proven. Yeah, so, so that kind of throws that. So, so he comes back and they arrest him and he's tossed in jail along with well, Hiram. Well, he, he, ends up, he ends up going to Carthage and he turns himself in. And he's expecting to go, I, I guess, to the local hotel, you know, and he's going to turn himself in. And Well, he's met by a constable by the name of Bettysworth, and he finds out now that the charge is no longer riot, which is what the original charge was for breaking up the uh, printing press. Now the charge is actually treason. Now, that's a that's lot serious. more serious. That's <laughs> very serious. It carries a death penalty in the United States, at least back then. Uh, so now he finds himself being put in the Carthage jail. And he's not put in a cell that has any bars. There, there was a room upstairs that had that. But he's put, in, he's put in what's known as the debtor cell. And this has a regular door to it. But the door is warped, so the latch doesn't even work, okay? So, <laughs> so he's, he's not even locked up. <laughs> no, he's not really. It's, it's almost like a house arrest. I mean, you're on your good behavior. So he's in there, and he's waiting for this. And what happens is, is he's actually visited by a number of people. Uh, one of those people that visits him is a guy by the name of Cyrus Wheelock. Cyrus Wheelock is allowed to go into the jail, and Wheelock has smuggled a pistol in with him. It was a, a strange little gun. It's called an Ethan Allen pepper box. It, it was kind of a, a, I guess we'd call it a revolver, but the barrels actually revolved. It wasn't very reliable, hmm. and Joseph Smith found that out <laughs> when he used it later on. But also another man by the name of Fulmer had visited the jail and had actually given Smith a Derringer. And Smith, in turn, gave it to his brother Hiram, who was very reluctant to take it, according to the history of the church. But anyway, when the mob finally comes to attack the jail, because this mob had been brewing uh, and they were very upset at Joseph Smith, so when this mob attacks um, Joseph's brother Hiram uh, and Joseph Smith, and others that were in the jail. And at this time, there was John Taylor, who would later become the third president of the Mormon church. And there was also Willard Richards, who was visiting him. They would hold themselves against the door. And because that was really the only way they could keep the mob from coming in is by physically holding themselves against the door. Now, when I first visited the Carthage jail back in the 1980s, we had a tour guide by the name of Elder Salt uh, from Salt Lake City. So this is why I've always remembered this. It was very easy to remember. And I remember Elder Salt telling the story, and he, and he repeated himself several times. He said that the only defense that the prisoners had was by holding themselves against the door and fighting off the attackers with their walking sticks. In other words, if the door got pushed open, they would take their walking sticks and start using them as a weapon to, to beat them back. He repeated this three times. And he kept insisting that was their only defense. And so I'm, I'm listening to this, and I'm being very, now you have to understand, mm -hmm. this is back in the early 80s, I think I was with I two, one, two, I had all, all my kids, I think, at that time. Well, maybe a couple of them. But anyway, I'm a very young family, 
a busload of BYU students had been dropped off during that time. So we were in this room with all these BYU students, and, it, and they, I'm the only Gentile there, me, my <laughs> wife, and kids. And so after he gets done telling this very, very uh, dramatic account of Joseph Smith's final moments, he, he gives, bears his testimony, and then he asks if there's any questions. Well. <laughs> I raised my oh, hand and I said, you know, I, and I told him, I says, I recall reading in volume seven and uh, um, specifically in page 101 to 103, how Joseph Smith had a smuggled pistol. You had said his only defense was holding themselves against the door. How do you explain the smuggled pistol? And uh, so I, I'll never forget. He, he kind of looked to the floor, <laughs> put his hands behind his back. He, he rocked on his heels and he said, yes, there was a gun. <laughs> And then he proceeded not only to admit to the Ethan Allen pepper box, but he also admitted to the Derringer. So that were, I didn't even mention that. So there were two guns. He yes, he knew this. But this is what troubled me. I, I was grateful that he was at least honest enough when challenged to tell me the truth. But why didn't he tell me the truth the first time? Why didn't he tell it? Why did he have to hold back that information? Uh, because as the story goes, uh, when they were holding themselves against the door, uh, a musket ball comes through the door and hits Hiram in the face. In mm -hmm. fact, if you've ever been down to the History Museum, they, they have a death mask of Hiram, and you can see the, the disfigurement in, on the, near the bridge of the nose where, Joe's, where Hiram was actually hit with this musket ball. And of course, according to history, the story is that he fell back saying something to the effect, I am a dead man. I personally doubt that he really even said that because a, a shot to the head like that, you're usually not capable of forming sentences. Uh, so he falls back and Joseph Smith supposedly goes to him and says, oh, my poor dear brother Hiram. Did he really say that? I, I don't know. I, there was quite a gun battle going on. Don't know there was. There's going to be a lot of shouting. There's going to be a lot of smoke. There's going to be a lot of confusion. And the mob is coming um, in the room. Yeah. And, and, but yet, Remember, the Mormons are writing the history. <laughs> like with the Mountain Meadows, the Mormons wrote the history. Right. Okay, so they're writing this history as well. And, and of course, it's going to be very dramatic, very romantic to, to give Joseph Smith this larger-than-life persona. Mm -hmm. Before uh, we go any further, that, let's back up just a little bit to the wine. Didn't they have some wine brought into the room before they the did. gun They did. That was after Wheelock brought the gun into the jail. So the word of wisdom is, in effect, only if you're not in prison, then, then you yeah, don't have to Yeah, because Joseph Smith made it very clear that the wine was not for sacramental purposes. It was to relieve their spirits. So it was to relax them. Okay. Uh, so, but that's okay. Well, well, here's the thing. A Mormon might argue, yeah, but the word of wisdom was only a suggestion. Because if you read, you know, section 89 carefully, the first part makes it sound like it is a suggestion. But Joseph Smith made it mandatory for all officers in the church. And he was an officer. He was in the definitely church. an officer. Definitely. So was his brother. Uh huh. So he would not be exempt from that. But yes, they did. They, they did drink wine, and it, and it does say that very clearly in Volume 7 of the History so, of the Church. So they had the wine, and they had okay. the pistols, and mm -hmm. a, a gun battle ensued. Right. So Hi Hiram now is probably dead. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he's probably dead at this time. And, and so Joseph Smith then, after seeing his brother, as the story goes, he, he grabs the, the pistol that was in his, uh, the History of the Church says, in his pantaloons pocket. He grabs the pistol. And he goes to the door, opens the door, puts his arm through the door, and fires the, the gun six successive times, but only three barrels discharge. 
not, that's not atypical for an Ethan Allen pepper box. They were not very reliable. <laughs> hmm. You'd think if Cyrus really cared about Joseph Smith, he would have given him a better gun, but uh, that's, a, that's another part of the <laughs> another story. story. <laughs> so anyway, he fires this, and we know, according to the testimony of John Taylor, who was there, John Taylor said that when Joseph Smith did that, he, he fired the gun six successive times, only three barrels discharged. He, according to John Taylor, he hit three people, and Taylor said, two of whom I am informed died. Mm -hmm. That's the way it reads in the history of the church. That's the way it reads in other Mormon sources that talk about the last moments of Joseph Smith. They all repeat this story. Now, some Mormon apologists have argued that nobody died. Okay. Who cares? Okay. <laughs> I mean, the fact is, Joseph Smith purposely aimed the gun at fellow human beings mm -hmm. and fired the gun with the intention of causing bodily harm. Whether they died or not is really irrelevant. Mormons want to make an issue out of that. But the issue is, is that dying as a lamb led to the slaughter? Because after Smith fires the weapon, he goes to the window and even uh, uh, Richard L. Bushman admits that he attempted to give the Masonic signal of mm -hmm. distress, mm -hmm. oh Lord my God, those were the only words that he was able to get out before he was shot, and, uh, and then ultimately fell out the window, and uh, sadly they propped him up and shot him and made sure that he was dead. And, and I'm, you know, many times Mormons would think that maybe we relish in that episode, and, and certainly we don't. For a number of reasons. Right, One, it was, right. wrong. it was you, wrong. You don't take the law into your own hands, no matter uh, how much or how badly you think that person might be. There, there are legal ways that you do this. Right. But second of all, had they not made Joseph Smith's death come out like that, make him a martyr, a martyr. because Mormons do think of him as a martyr. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's fair of Mormons to expect us to draw that same conclusion. But they tend to get very upset if we challenge that label. But how many of them, like me, like I'm, I'm talking about my own experience, how, and the, the people, many people I've talked to, they really have not heard any other story. They have no other way of finding out that it was a gun battle. Yeah, I, I've just been dialoguing in email with a Mormon who, who doubted my account of him having the smuggle pistol. And then later he said, that, well, he didn't get it from uh, Wheelock. He, he, one of the mobsters and one of the mob people had it and stuck their hand through the door and they shut the door in his hand and Smith took the gun from him. And I'm going, no, that's, <laughs> that's not, not what happened. That's not. I have heard so much folklore regarding this whole story. Uh-huh. And, had a, and the, he had the right to defend himself. That's one well, of the arguments. Well, here's the thing. I, because people ask me that. I say, well, what would you do in a situation like that? And I say, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've never been in a situation like that, so I can't really honestly answer that. I would like to think that if I was telling people I was going to go as a lamb to the slaughter, <laughs> and since sheep don't shoot, I, you know, I would like to think I would go using that comparison to Jesus that I would go like him. But I don't know. Yeah. See? Yeah. The thing is, we know Smith didn't go That's as right. a lamb to the That's slaughter. That's right. But yet, many Mormons remember that very dramatic mm -hmm. moment, mm -hmm. if that even happened. Uh, but they remember that very dramatic moment where Smith allegedly said that. And many who do not know that he had a gun probably imagine Joseph Smith standing there just 
taking the bullets, you know, with his face in the wind and his mm, hair blowing, yeah, it, you yeah, know. Yeah, it, it was. That's and the way that's I was taught. That's the way I was taught for sure. Now, you mentioned um, blood stains on the floor, mm -hmm. which is something that I had not heard before. I yeah, heard you say it. When I was there back in the early 80s, my first visit there, I had been told by some good friends of mine. I, I, was, I was mentored under uh, Art and Edna Bedvarson. They founded Utah Christian Tract Society back in the 1950s. And so when I started studying Mormonism, they became good friends of me and my wife, Tammy. And uh, they had told me that when they went to visit Carthage back in the 60s, that there was a frame, a glass frame on the floor and to look for that. And I said, oh, okay, but she, I actually have a picture on her website of Edna standing next to this glass frame, mm -hmm. so you can see that it's there. Mm -hmm. Art and Edna told me that when they visited the jail at that time, that the tour guide told them that that was the blood of Joseph Smith. That doesn't make any sense because Smith was shot near the window, which mm -hmm. was several feet away. But when I asked, you know, about the blood stain, Elder Salt knew exactly what I was referring to and pointed mm, to it. Interesting. Now, there was no frame on the ground, of course, but there was a, an outline of a blood stain there. And Elder Salt said that that was the sacred blood of Hiram. Hmm. Now, that, that makes more sense because it was about the distance from the door that had Hiram fallen back. Mm -hmm. That probably would have been about where his head would have been located. So that makes much more sense. But today, you would not know about the blood stain. They don't talk about the blood stain. In fact, they didn't even when I went there the first time, I had to bring it up. And in fact, the stain was between two benches. So people actually walk right over wow. it, you know, to sit down to listen to huh. the, the spiel. Why they that. That. Didn't you say Kimball said something about uh, wanting to get rid of the blood stain? That was another time that I visited. I think it was the last time I was there, just a few years ago. I, I was talking to a sister missionary about that because Whenever I go, and I've been there several times, I notice they never mention the smuggled pistol. So I always want to bring it yeah. up. I, I want to hear what they have to say. And I've had different answers uh, for about as many times as I've been there. Well, one young sister missionary um, did know about this when I brought it up. And so after the tour was over, we sat over in the courtyard near, it was over, I think it was over by where the statue of Joseph and Hiram are located right now. And we sat down, there was a bench not too far from those statues, and we just got into a very good conversation. She's a very sweet girl, and uh, so we started talking about some of the history uh, about the jail and the history of Hancock County and Nauvoo and things like that. And she was the one that told me that uh, it was Spencer Kimball who tried to have the blood stain removed. Now, mm. I've never verified that. Mm. I, it's not all that important to me, but but it shows that it was it must have had some importance to the Mormons. Yeah, I they wonder. They wanted to get rid of it for I some reason. I wonder if they did a DNA test and found out it was the blood of a lamb or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> doubt it. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't think they ever have. But <laughs> but she told me that they, they tried to remove it, but it doesn't come out. Hmm. And Interesting. I mean, those floors, uh, they look like they're made out of oak, uh, some hard wood, naturally, mm -hmm. and the stain is pretty pretty in there <laughs> it's not coming out well uh, we need to take a break right now uh, and open up our phone lines our telephone number is 801-973-TV20 that's 801-973-8820 and we would like you to stay on topic when you call in tonight and to turn your TV down and would and we also have a message right now that we would like to share with you 
You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group, Life After Polygamy, where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place, call us toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show, uh, Polygamy, What Love Is This? Our guest is Bill McKeever. We're talking about the untold story of Joseph Smith's death. Did he die as a lamb being led to the slaughter, or did he die as a martyr or a lawbreaker? <laughs> That's a good comparison. Because let me, let me give you this scenario. I was thinking about this very heavily because this is a chapter in our revised Answering Mormon's Questions that's coming out in October. This is a big issue with Latter-day Saints because, of course, they've always heard how Joseph Smith died as a martyr. But let's put it in a 21st century context. And I'll use myself as an example, okay? Let's say myself, I'm a very controversial religious figure in Salt Lake City, okay? I've mm -hmm. uh, done some things that some people really question. Uh, so a lot of my close friends have left me and they've, they're going to expose me, you know, for this. And, I, and, and so they've gotten a hold of, let's say, a reporter at the Salt Lake Tribune. And they're going to come out with a big hit piece on me. So I decide I'm going to head them off at the pass. 
Now, I'm known as a religious figure. I'm very controversial, okay? Okay. That's almost true in some ways. You know, <laughs> my name is had for good and ill So, in the Salt Lake Valley. So, let's say, though, I'm going to break into, I'm going to send people to break into the Salt Lake Tribune's offices and find the desk of the reporter who's going to run that story. And their orders are that they're going to find the desk, they're going to take the computer, they're going to smash the monitor, they're going to take the hard drive, and they're going to erase it, reformat it making sure that the story that's on that computer is never going to run. But in the process, they get caught. I'm implicated, and I'm arrested. They arrest me, take me down to the Salt Lake Jail. There's a mob waiting for me down there because they're really ticked off, not only at some of the things I may have done, but the fact that I would try to cover it up. Hmm. Somehow, someone's carrying a gun, shots are fired. Uh, let's say, hypothetically, I grab the pistol of one of the... the, the officers that are standing next to, to me to defend myself, I shoot back, and I'm killed in the process. Do you really think for a minute that any Mormon would say Bill McKeever died as a martyr? I don't think any I of them would draw that. So they either. would not no draw that conclusion. I would die because of the crime that I committed having someone break into that office to cover up something that was going to expose my evil behavior. Right. I don't think they would look at me as dying a martyr. I don't think Mormons would talk among themselves saying, oh yeah, it was sad, what happened to Bill? He died as a martyr. I don't think so. But yet Mormons expect us to give that label to Joseph Smith. What was really different there? Destroying a printing press, having someone destroy it. Yeah, there, there's really not much difference there's there. There's not much difference. So what is a martyr? What is a true martyr? There's a number of different definitions for that, but usually it's been thought of as a person who willingly gives their life for what they believe to be true. For instance, in the first century, when Christians were dying as martyrs in the arenas, they went willingly. They didn't put up a struggle. Now, I had, I read one Mormon said, oh, yeah, sure. They didn't put their arms up when the lions were trying to bite them. And I thought, oh, let's be reasonable. <laughs> That's not the whole, no. Let's be reasonable here. Uh, but they actually went willingly. You couldn't volunteer for martyrdom in the first century. That was not right. No. You, they had to come get you. <laughs> but when they did, you went willingly. I don't think Smith really had any intention of going willingly. When he took the gun, I think he proves that he never had any intention of going willingly. So these are some of the facts mm -hmm. that if a Mormon does not understand our conclusion, they should at least try to understand why we have difficulty mm -hmm. giving that kind of a label to Joseph Smith. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. It's not the same as what we see in the first century church or even what we see in the Christian church to this day because Christians are dying every they day are. for their faith. Yeah, around the world, and they certainly are. I, I don't think that can be overlooked. Yeah, and I don't think it's right when to, to apply the word, the, the definition to a martyr to someone who wasn't a martyr who died in a gun battle mm -hmm. and then apply it equally to someone who truly is a martyr dying yeah. for Because there's, there's no doubt Joseph Smith was a religious figure, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they died for the cause. Right. Because, again, a, a point that I like to bring out is that Smith was not arrested for you know, helping the poor or helping the widows or doing any of these things. Right. It, it wasn't for doing something that we would consider to be religiously respectable. Right. He was arrested for vandalizing and destroying a printing press. And mm -hmm. I can understand why they would much rather think of Joseph Smith as dying as a martyr 
instead of dying as an accessory to vandalism. That just doesn't have the same connotation. And he was mayor, too. Yes. Not only that, not only was better. a religious leader, he was a political yes, leader as well. Better. Okay, we have some calls here, so let's, um, let's go to line one, Jack in West Jordan calling. Hello, Jack. Hello. Hello, Jack. You're on the air. Okay, thank you. You're on the air. Turn your TV volume down, and what is your question? Hello, Doris. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, thank you. Good. Hey, I really appreciate this topic tonight. And by the way, Bill, that's a great tie. <laughs> Jerry Garcia. When I take him to church, it's about as close as he ever got to church, probably in his <laughs> life. So, thank you. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I'm really interested in this in this topic tonight, and I'm just curious of this one question is how do you think Howard Stern will do as a judge on America's Got Talent this year? And uh, Okay, let's go <laughs> oh, no. to line two, Ted. Hello, Ted? Yes? Yes, you're on the air. Okay. Yeah, what is your question? Okay, yes, my question is, um, a number of times I've heard a story about what they call the Morrisites, who broke off from the church and came up to Ogden and lived along the river at a place called, they call now Lawrenford Park. And uh, Brigham Young couldn't take this, so he sent uh, Rock, Porter Rockwell and what they call the Danonites up to deal with them. They ended up killing most of the men and telling the women in this group that they had to return to Salt Lake and get back into the fold or they would let them starve to death that winter. Now, I've heard this from two different sources, and actually one of them was from a guy named David Morris. I wonder if you know anything about that. I'm not familiar with that story. Sorry. I'm not either. I'm not. I'm not either. No. Nope. We could do a Google on it, though, and <laughs> find Good. out about it later. Nobody's familiar with that? I'm not. I'm sorry. Mm -mm. When was this supposed to have happened? Uh, well, it was sometime after they, they settled here in the Ogden Valley, but there was a guy named, his last name was Morris, and part of his family broke off with him and some others and the main contention was polygamy they didn't want to live the polygamy i think it was because the morris uh individual had like five daughters mm. and he didn't want to marry him off to old man oh he's a smart man good for him well i'm gonna look him up <laughs> see if now, i can find I'm, this story now out. i'm intrigued yeah me too <laughs> sorry did okay well you, you might want to look into this because i've i got this from a pretty good source uh-huh i will i'll check it out Thank you, Ted. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bye. Okay, Don Gilson is calling from Salt Lake City. Hello, Don. Yes. Yes, you're on the air. Okay. Do you have a question? Hi. Hi, you need to turn the TV volume down. Uh, I will. Okay, yeah, I don't even have a question. I just have a statement. To, I, I'm an employer, or I was an employer in Salt Lake City, uh, we act, my company actually did the graphics for the building sides for uh, the uh, 2002 Olympics. But I had a very good friend that worked for me, and his name was Mike. Uh, and I saw the damage that was, he was from a, a polygamous background. And uh, his, his wife and children were actually taken away from him because he, he uh, moved away from the church and uh, were given to his brother. And so his children called him Uncle Mike, and his brother, father, it was, uh, you know, 
And the poor guy, he was just destroyed. His, you know, his, his whole life just went down the drain. And, uh, you know, I met his mother and I met uh, his sisters. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is firsthand what happens with polygamy. What group it's, was he it's in? It's a cult. It's not, uh, it's not a religion. No, it, well, uh, it's a religion. That I see. <laughs> Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not a religious person, although I do have a Mormon background, but uh, <clears throat> Don, Mike was that, you know, it, it just ruined his whole life. Don, uh, can you tell me Because what's... he wouldn't follow their teachings, his whole family was Hello. taken away from him. Don? And, uh, Don? Yeah, it was just, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I we, don't even know what to say. He, we don't... He, like I said, he, he died a couple of years ago <laughs> from... Uh, uh, pancreatic uh, cancer. Yeah, uh, Don, could you tell me what group this man was from? Do you know what polygamy uh, group? You know, I, I'm not sure what uh, what exactly. Uh, uh, you don't know which group then that he was. No, I don't. I don't. Uh, but he was one of my best friends, yeah. and he never. You know, we we didn't really talk about that too much. But I did. I his mother and his sisters would come over to. Uh, the shop where we worked all the time, and I and they were lovely people, you know. But uh, I couldn't believe uh, what had happened to him. And well, you know, Don, you you mentioned that he, they were lovely people, and it's just like the Mormon people that we talk about on this show, the polygamous people, most of them are lovely people. Oh, and they are. We, they we are. care deeply. Like I say, I, I am not a religious person. I was uh, raised uh, in the Mormon religion, but well, you know, Don, Jesus didn't like religion. He wasn't religious uh, either. We we are to be Christians who follow Jesus, not follow religion. Uh, there's uh, a big difference between being in a religion and being in a relationship. I believe in the golden rule. You know, I mean. Uh, well, the golden rule won't get you, you to heaven. You, you do understand the, the golden rule won't forgive your sins. That's the way I live my life. Uh, I don't go to church, uh, but. Uh, you know, well, I, and I don't think that, I really, I don't think that's necessary. Well, Don, that's a, that's, a, that <laughs> that's a different conversation, which we can have at some point, especially if you'd like to email us about it. But we have another caller that we need to take right now, and we appreciate okay. your phone call. Thank you. Okay, we have line one, Bob, in Salt Lake City. Hello, Bob. Mm, yes, I have a question for uh, your guest. Yes that perhaps he could uh, help me understand about um, who exactly was the uh, mob uh, that was at the jail. Well, we hear about the mob, but my, myself, I've never really understood exactly uh, perhaps who they were and or perhaps who they represented and um, who exactly were these people. Well, some of them are actually mentioned by name, uh, but uh, a lot of the people that were involved in this, we have to assume, were people that were very upset with Joseph Smith's behavior in the area. Um, some of them went to trial. They, they were not convicted. Some of them went on to actually hold some prestigious positions. Um, but as far as who they were and their background, we, uh, I don't really know what all the particulars are, although some have said that some of them were actually uh, Masons, uh, part of the local Masonic Lodge, and some of them were actually upset that Joseph Smith had uh, taken the Masonic ceremony and adapted it to fit uh, a Mormon ceremony, the Mormon Temple Endowment Ceremony. Smith became a Mason in 1842. 
about a month later, he starts this endowment ceremony. And of course, he's telling a lot of these Masonic secrets to his fellow Latter-day Saints, and Masons don't like that, and some of them were probably a part of that as well. Would uh, that perhaps explain why he began his uh, Masonic? Uh, yes, many feel that's maybe why. Maybe he recognized some of these yes. people. There's, that's a very good point. That That's probably why he did attempt to give the Masonic signal of distress, hoping, uh, because by a vow, they are supposed to come to the aid of fellow Masons that are in trouble, but it didn't work for Joseph Smith. I was just curious, uh, perhaps, um, I'd also heard in the past um, that while um, Smith was in Carthage, that the uh, Nauvoo Legion, or members of the Nauvoo Legion, had been uh, had left Nauvoo or dispatched. Uh, on their way to perhaps rescue Smith, who was their uh, lieutenant general. Have you ever heard of... There is, there is a hint to that in the history of the church, volume 7. Uh -huh. uh, uh, there is a hint to that, that someone was going to go get them to come to his aid. Right. From what I understand and from what I read from their textbooks, Smith was not in favor of that, uh, at least at the beginning. I don't know, he could have changed his mind later on, and uh, maybe that never really got recorded. I'm not aware of it. But yes, that, that has been assumed by some. Um, I was curious if you'd be willing to speculate that um, uh, Smith perhaps, and this is perhaps a stretch, uh, where he uh, you know, engages with a gun battle with the mob, which may have, uh, yes, you know, just, just say that his uh, hand may have been forced, but if he's been informed that he is going to be charged with treason, which is a very serious and was executable at that time, now in the United States it's a life sentence, um, but with his other previous crimes, uh, with polygamy, of course the printing press uh, destruction, perhaps other crimes, uh, that Smith already knows that with conviction, He's never returning to Nauvoo. He'll, he's looking at a life sentence and or execution. Mm -hmm. He has, uh, what I mean is he has no further choice than to uh, perhaps uh, defend himself and perhaps uh, may vie for uh, what could be seen by history as martyrdom. He knows he's not returning. There, that Sure, there's a lot of things that we can speculate about. I've often tried to put this whole incident in some kind of time frame uh, a, a timeline to see what happened when. I, I sometimes wonder who really fired the first shot. Of course, according to the Mormons, Joseph Smith was a defender. Is that really what happened? I, I, I don't really know. I, I don't know if there's enough of those details that have been recorded. And if they are, I haven't seen them, but I would certainly love to see them if they're available. I would love to put this thing in some kind of a, a timeline to see what happened when and hear the different testimonies. And, you know, but, John Taylor was there, and he saw it all. There might be some information actually, that they have. Well, I was going to mention uh, uh, an unattended question. Um, do we ever have the other side of the table for the people who on the outside tell a story? I guess the story that we have is from the people that were on the inside who were Taylor and Woodruff. Well, they would be uh, um, Taylor and Richards, uh, not, not Woodruff, um, but Willard Richards was there. You, you would think so. Now, now, remember, both of them were wounded. One of them was underneath one of the beds, and uh, so if they actually saw a lot of this is rather questionable. No doubt they probably heard a lot of stuff that was going on, but did they actually see some of these things? I See, that's the problem. And, and all we have really is the Mormon account of it. And, and the Mormon account we get from uh, Richards and Taylor, 
Taylor primarily. Or have another side of the story from the people on the outside, their account. Correct. And if you were to bring up anything that might paint that account differently, to where it makes Joseph Smith look less favorable, I can guarantee you most Mormons will just ignore it and say it's nothing but lies. Because that's a typical defense mechanism that many Latter-day Saints use whenever anything negative is brought up about Joseph Smith. Uh, real fast, uh, I was just curious, uh, since his crime at a federal level was actually quite serious, have you ever know, uh, or have known uh, that you have ever ran across that he was perhaps to be transferred to a more secure site, perhaps to the state capitol? I, I know nothing about that, no. Okay, Bob, thank you, thank you, thank you for thank your you call. Uh-huh. Yeah, Bye. Well, uh, we only have a couple of minutes left before we need to close, so we'll try and get Becky in real quick and see okay. if she can be quick. Hello, Becky. Hi. Yes, you're on the air. You only have about a minute, so can you ask okay. a question? Hi, Bill. It's Becky from Panguitch. Hi, Becky. How are you? I'm good. Did I understand you correctly that you said that... Um, Joseph Smith had no children with um, all of his plural wives? As far as we know, there's been no uh, definite proof that he had any offspring through his plural wives. Really? I never even thought about that. There's that a lot of speculation and no real proof. Yes. Huh, interesting. So when he died, did he have 30-some wives at that time? Yes. 34. And at least, according to Todd Compton... Todd Compton says 11 of those wives had living husbands. Richard L. Bushman, he says 10 of them had living husbands. So there's a little conflict in how many were actually polyandrous relationships. But at least you have two credible historians admitting that Smith was engaged in marrying married women. Okay. I'd, I'd never even thought about whether he had any children by all of the, the plural wives. So I just wanted to make sure I understood you correctly. Okay, great program. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. Well, we only have about a minute left, so we can't take the, uh, the other uh, caller that's waiting, Rayona. If you want to email us, we'd be happy to uh, answer your question by email. And again, the fact that he had all of these wives and no, no uh, issue, uh, offspring from mm -hmm. these wives, again proves Jacob 2.30 is uh, not effective. Correct, because the purpose would be to do just that. To have the yeah, children, and right. there were no children there mm -hmm. uh, that, that we know of. And mm -hmm. now, again, there's, there is some speculation that there mm -hmm. was some, and even some abortions, there's speculation mm -hmm. that that took place. But again, we don't have any. Well, Bill, thanks again for coming. We're yeah, going to have to do it again. We talked about having Bill come back and, and maybe talk about the golden plates and, and could he carry them. And so we'll set a date for that. And, okay. and Bill will come back and we'll talk about that. Um, and uh, my closing comments tonight are, is about being led to the lamb. Uh, was Joseph Smith led like a lamb to the slaughter? And it's, it is a phrase that is distinctly applicable to, Joseph's, or to Jesus Christ only. So it's impossible for anyone else to have fulfilled that. And the phrase does come from Isaiah chapter 53, where we read a very moving prophecy of the Lamb of God suffering and dying uh, for our sins. And it applies only to Jesus Christ. 
Christ. Joseph Smith died not as a lamb to the slaughter, but he was killed in a blazing gun battle where others were also killed, and Joseph Smith killed two of them himself. That's hardly like a lamb being led meekly to the slaughter. Jesus is the lamb who died for our sin, and the Bible tells us that there was no deceit found in his mouth. Yet when we read the unpolished story of Joseph Smith, we discover that the religion he founded was built upon deceit, cover-ups, and false prophecies. There was deceit in Joseph Smith's mouth. There was no deceit in Jesus Christ. There was much sin in Joseph Smith's life. That's why he, just like we, need a Savior. There was no sin in Jesus Christ's life. That's why he, and only he, is the Savior. Joseph Smith was more like a bull in a china closet than he was uh, being led as a lamb to the slaughter. Joseph Smith destroyed much more than he ever thought of thinking of restoring. To place Joseph Smith in the same category as Jesus Christ only further demonstrates the need for this culture to realize that their faith is only as good as the object of their faith. Since nothing is needed for eternal life except a clinging faith to Jesus Christ alone, why not just throw everything and everyone else out because you don't need anything or anyone else but the true Lamb of God, and that's Jesus Christ. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.